Hey, Zone 9 Gardener. Did you know that where you live, you can grow gorgeous vegetables, herbs, and flowers year-round? In the Wild Child Garden, we harvest 52 weeks a year. There's no need for cover crops, never a time when we can't plant something, and there's always room to add beauty. I'm going to inspire you to turn your garden into a wild child garden right here on the Wild Child Kitchen Gardening Podcast. I'm Kelly Johnson, founder of Wild Child Kitchen Gardens, and I teach busy women how to grow gorgeous food in any space. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about what it means to garden like a wild child and how you can incorporate the wild child gardening philosophy into a garden that you may already have growing right now or one that you're dreaming about for the future. Either way, you're in for a treat. Today, we're digging into the wild child gardening method, and I think you're going to be inspired. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Wild Child Kitchen Gardening Podcast. This is episode one. I am so excited to be here with you, and I just really want to start by giving you a little bit of a background about me, and I want to introduce you to this method of gardening that works so well. It's a method that I use in my own garden and one that I teach to busy women in the Kitchen Garden Academy who want easy-to-grow, overproducing, gorgeous gardens in the space they have and the time they've got. Does that sound good to you? My name is Kelly Johnson, and I am a Zone 9 gardener in South Louisiana. After a decade of reading gardening books and following online gardening gurus, I was frustrated at how nothing seemed to work for my particular growing climate. Zone 9 is so unique. We have mild winters, hot summers, and more humidity than we need. Can I get an amen? Our weather is unpredictable, and sometimes we have to bend the rules a little to get the most out of our garden space. When I started working with our climate instead of against it, my garden began to thrive. I knew that there must be other frustrated gardeners out there as well, so I started Wild Child Kitchen Gardens, and I was right. I have taught this method to over 100 gardeners now, and there are Wild Child Gardens growing in six states. So what makes this method so special? Well, I think it's because it's just simple. It's not complicated. It's completely organic and it just makes sense. There are so many products, books, and websites for gardeners and to sort through all of the noise takes a master's degree. Well, I don't have one of those, but what I do have is a lot of trial and error, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes, and a lot of successes. Now, most importantly, what I have is a lot of joy in my garden. That's kind of full circle for me because my love of gardening began with joy when I was a little girl on my mama's patio. She grew tomatoes and banana peppers in pots, and she had muscadines, too, growing in her yard on a clothesline. Did your grandmother grow vegetables on clotheslines? So simple, right? To this day, one bite of a muscadine will transport me right back to her house in the middle of summer. Literal magic. So of course, when I got married and started a family of my own, I wanted those exact same things. Pots of tomatoes and peppers on my patio and muscadines in my yard. That is how it all started for me. When I planted my first in-the-ground garden, I was a mom of two toddlers who could barely keep her head above water. I scattered cucumber seeds along the skirting of the trailer we were renting at the time, and I hoped for the best. 
Those cucumbers grew on hope that year because let me tell you, that is all they got. Fast forward 15 years and I'm still growing on hope. I think I probably always will be. But I've learned a few things too. And what I've learned, I teach to the gardeners that I coach and now hope to pass along to you on this podcast. On each episode, you can expect to be inspired to garden like a wild child in your Zone 9 garden. We have such a unique growing climate and we can harvest 52 weeks a year. I don't want to miss a single one and I don't want you to either. It all starts with the wild child gardening method. I'm going to share that with you today. Let's dig in. When you think about your garden, I want you to think about it like a symphony. All of these pieces and parts working together to create something amazing. That is exactly what the Wild Child Garden is. While a symphony has instruments and musicians, you have raised beds and good soil. The sheet music, that's your garden seasonal companion plan. And the conductor, well, that's you. Let's get started with this method to the magic. You ready? We're going to start with the foundation of the wild child garden, or really any garden for that matter. That is your soil. Your soil is everything. And when you get it right, anything will grow. Unfortunately, most of us don't get it right. We buy bag soil or bulk soil from the nursery, and what we don't realize is that what we're really buying is dirt. And soil and dirt are not the same. Soil cannot be bought. I really want you to understand that. Soil is made organically over time. It's packed with nutrients and it's full of life. When I see an issue or a trouble spot in a garden, I can almost always trace it back to the soil. I can't state it enough. The soil is the most important part of your entire garden. If we think about the symphony again, your soil would be your musicians. You can't have a symphony without them, right? And the better they are, the better the symphony will be as a whole. That is exactly like your soil. Your first season, you're going to need to bring those nutrients to your soil. You're trying to make your soil amazing. You have all of these new musicians that are just coming to the party. And really, it's your job to train them, to give them an environment in which they can thrive, to give them a head start by placing them in their new home. So how do you do this? By using compost. Compost is the single most important thing you can add to your garden. Whether it's made by you, someone you know, or it's purchased from the nursery, compost is king in any backyard garden. It's where it all begins. But let me be clear, all compost is not created equal. What you really want to think about here is that you get what you pay for. Obviously, homegrown compost is always going to be best. Second would be from a trusted source. And third would be a bagged product at the nursery. Keep in mind, you want the best you can afford. So invest here. To get the results you're looking for, you're probably not going to want the 99 cent a bag product. 
Although it seems like a good deal, in the long run, it just isn't. Remember, soil is the foundation of any garden. It really pays to invest here. And that's because your soil is going to do all the work for you. In the wild child garden, we nurture our soil and our soil does everything else. It's the environment that allows us to grow so much in such a small space. It feeds our plants, it keeps diseases at bay, and it minimizes pests. How? Because it's its own ecosystem growing and producing underground. I want you to remember something. In the garden, what you can't see is so much more important than what you can see. When you focus on your soil, you use your plants as your thermometer, not as your guide. So often I find gardeners being reactive in the garden. And you almost have to be, right? If something goes wrong, you have to deal with it. After all, you have invested so much time and so much money into these plants. Well, what if I told you that if you were proactive, what would actually happen is there would be less chaos in the garden. There would be less stress, less problems. And what you would find is that your plants actually become the byproduct of what you're actually growing. Does that sound crazy? I want you to think about this for a second. Those beneficial organisms, that bacteria and fungi that's in your soil is where I want you to focus. Because when we do that, our garden takes off to the next level. So how do we do it? Well, we add lots of quality compost for sure. But we also just get out of the way and leave it alone. No helicopter plant parenting here. We don't till. We don't dig. We don't disturb our soil ever. Instead, we just layer organic matter as often as we can. And we grow in raised beds. Think about the symphony again. If the soil is your musicians, the raised beds are your instruments. They allow us to make the most of our garden space. And when we think about instruments in a symphony, a musician can only do so much, right? If the violin has no strings, it doesn't matter how great the musician is. The same goes for your garden. Raised beds allow us to create a soil that is the best it can be. It's free of weeds. It's not affected by weather. It doesn't see the pests that an in-ground garden will see. Basically, raised beds make the garden easy. It's because it gives our garden space boundaries. Each raised bed is an ecosystem all its own, completely independent from the other beds in the garden. If you think about a row garden, for instance, a row garden is going to be affected tremendously from a lot of rain, from grass that continues to grow into the rows, from weeds that are always going to pop up, from pests. Your raised beds are luxury living for your beneficial organisms that you are going to focus on. 
because those organisms turn nutrients into plant food. And when they are in a stress-free environment that does not have pests, that does not have weeds, that is unaffected by extreme weather conditions, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to reproduce more often. They're going to decompose organic matter more quickly, which means that your plants will benefit greatly. Your root systems will be larger. Your plants will be stronger, healthier, and they will produce more for you. Raised beds are the way. Not to mention, they're also beautiful. When built from cedar, they will last a long, long time. But they can also be purchased to fit any style or budget. When building or purchasing your raised beds, you want to make sure that they're made from a quality material that will last. Cedar, like I said, is a fantastic option. So are galvanized beds. In addition to a material that lasts, I want you to make sure of one other thing. I want you to make sure that your raised beds are at least 12 inches deep. This is a game changer. If you want your plants to really thrive, your raised bed should never be more shallow than 12 inches. And actually, I recommend 24 inches just because in that space, Weeds are non-existent, and the roots of even the most aggressive veggies have plenty of space. These beds at 24 inches are also going to hold moisture really well, so you don't have to water as often. Again, raised beds make gardening easy. Here's one more thing I want you to consider about raised beds. Because they're isolated and they are each their own ecosystem, if you have a problem in one bed, It is only a problem in that one bed. Your other beds are completely unaffected. Right now in my garden, I have discovered I have a problem that I have never experienced before. I have root knot nematodes, which are not common, but they come in in soil. The nematodes are just a little round worm that burrow into the roots of your plants, making the roots just completely unusable for plant nutrition transportation. It's pretty much a bummer and they're not difficult to get rid of, but I've got to get rid of them. Here's the thing. They're in one bed. That means that while bed number eight, that's the bed that they're in, is going to need to be solarized and I'm going to have to take my plants out of it and get it back in shape before I plant for the coming season. Beds one through seven are completely unaffected. This is a game changer. An in-ground garden does not have that luxury. They seem to be affected as a whole. If you have a problem in one place of your in-ground garden, you have a problem in the entire in-ground garden. But raised beds are isolated. So problems are so much easier to solve and solutions are easier to implement. Believe me, it's much easier to solarize one four by four bed than it is to solarize five rows. (laughs) I don't want to be doing that at all. Now that I've hopefully convinced you to garden and raise beds with great soil, you're ready to bring this garden to life. So let's think back to the symphony again. How does the symphony come to life? You've got musicians, you've got instruments. What do they use to bring 
the symphony to life. Sheet music, right? Well, in the wild child garden, your sheet music is your companion plan. And this plan is everything. It maximizes the space you have. It increases the diversity of the plants you grow. It creates unforgettable magnetic beauty that attracts everybody that visits to the space in your yard. And it allows you to harvest all the time. How? Because when you companion plant, it will multiply what you're growing in your space exponentially. We companion plant to grow as much as we possibly can in our space. And we also companion plant because it's beautiful. Beautiful gardens are tended gardens. If it lacks beauty, you're probably not going to spend as much time out there as you would if it was just gorgeous. As humans, we're just attracted to pretty things. I used to call myself a beauty seeker because I could find beauty in just about anything. I love seeing a stack of towels freshly folded. I love a candle lit in a vignette on a end table. I love good, old-fashioned, ordinary beauty. And there's nothing more beautiful than a companion-planted garden. It's also going to be more pest and disease-free. The reason is, is because as you're out there, because you love it, because it's beautiful, you're going to see things at the first sign. That means that you're going to be able to take care of things at the first sign. That is key. I hope that I've convinced you that you need a plan. So how do you create one? I teach my students in the Kitchen Garden Academy exactly how to do this step by step. And we even have a planning session that we come together online and we plan our gardens together. It's very, very important to get this plan right. For today, I want to just walk you through the most basic steps so you can get an idea of how much you can actually grow in your raised bed. Because I bet that you're leaving some space on the table. Let's get that garden planned. To plan your garden, you're going to start by making a list of everything you want to grow. After you've made that list, you're going to determine which things on that list you can grow in the season that you're in. So you've got a list of all herbs, all veggies, all flowers that you would just absolutely love to have growing in your garden. Then you got to kind of weed it down a little bit to what can actually be grown right now. Once you come up with those things, you're going to pick a must-grow veggie for every bed you have. So if you have four raised beds, then you're going to have four must-grow veggies. This is really, really important because this helps you sort of stack your bed in a way that ensures you're growing exactly what you want to grow. Next, you can sketch your beds. Now this is very simple and does not have to be elaborate at all. In fact, all you're gonna do is just draw the shape of your beds, rectangle, square, whatever they might be. Just draw the shape. Then you're gonna divide your beds into the proper square footage. So if you have a four by eight bed, you're gonna divide that bed four ways across, 
giving you a four foot width and eight ways down, giving you an eight foot length. Super simple, right? Now you've got your 32 square feet in your four by eight bed. Doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be proportionate, doesn't have to be to scale. You just need 32 squares. Then you're ready to start plotting. Once you've got all of your beds sketched and divided into the proper square footage, you're ready to start plotting. So let's go back to that must grow vegetable list that you created and you should have one must grow veggie for every bed you have. So let's just pick a vegetable and start plotting. Let's say broccoli is number one on your list. The first thing you're gonna wanna do is research how much broccoli spacing is gonna be needed for this broccoli to thrive. I'll cut to the chase here and tell you that it's 18 inches, but a quick Google search will give you this number for any vegetable that you wanna grow. Broccoli is kind of interesting though because broccoli likes to touch its neighbor. It's really a friendly plant, likes to hold hands with the plant that's next to it, but don't get too close because if you're too close, the broccoli won't produce a head. You ever had that happen before? I have. To give broccoli the spacing it needs, 18 inches is where you want to be. So you're going to plot that broccoli 18 inches apart in your garden plan. Now your job is to figure out how many broccoli plants you can fit in that bed. Fit them in like a puzzle. Get creative. Remember, this garden is uniquely yours. Some gardeners that I coach like to put all of their musgrove veggies in the middle of the bed, and then they will fill in with companions on the outside. Some like to spread the musgrove veggies all over the bed. Some like to put them in the corners. Fit them like a puzzle, get creative, and put as many plants as you can in that bed. Once your musgrove veggies in the bed, then you can start filling in with your companions. If you just do another quick Google search of broccoli companions, a whole list is gonna come up for you to choose from. Then you can take that list and compare it to the list you created in step one when you made a list of every single thing you wanted to grow. Now you've got your companions and you can start filling in. Stay in with broccoli. Some of my favorite broccoli companions are spinach, chard, collards, radishes, cilantro, parsley, dill. We can add all of those into this bed. And then finally, you're gonna add flowers. Flowers are so fun in the garden. For the fall, I love to plant pansies, violas, garden mums, and nasturtiums. They give beautiful fall color and really turn your garden into a magical space. So much fun. You see how this works? This plan is a must. Here's why. This type of planting is called intensive companion planting. But that is not the same thing as overcrowding. These plants are strategically planted together. They're not just thrown in the bed because it's what you bought at the nursery. I may step on some toes here, but I think you might be just like I was. Buy plants and plant them. Sound familiar? Four-pack broccoli, the on-sale tomato, three parsley plants, and oh, those sunflowers are beautiful. I'll get those too. Get home, start digging. This is the wrong way to set your garden up for success. 
knowing what grows well together and what will grow in the season you're in will help you harvest more. It will give you a more beautiful space and it will ultimately create for you an overall better garden. This plan is essential. Don't plant without one. It's also going to allow you to create a shopping list for the nursery so that you get only what you need. And this, my friend, is going to change everything. Remember, intensive companion planting is not overcrowding. They are very different. Intensive companion planting is good. Overcrowding is bad. Now, finally, who keeps everything flowing just as it should in the symphony? You have your musicians, you have your instruments, you have your sheet music, but who brings this all together? The conductor, right? You are the conductor of your garden symphony. You are the master behind the magic. This garden is a reflection of you. So add your unique beauty to the space. Bird feeders, garden flags, potted herbs in the middle of a raised bed, a dining table, seating area, an arch or a trellis. This is what will bring your garden to life and give you the results you want. This can be a magical space and it's all in your hands. And you can create it anytime you want. By following the wild child gardening philosophy, you will turn your boring, underperforming garden into a magical, overproducing retreat that calms your nerves, heals your soul, and feeds your family. This garden is truly magical. I really hope you can see it. I hope this episode has given you a good look at a wild child garden, how it compares to a symphony, and I hope that you see yourself as the conductor. This philosophy is how we grow so much in a small space and how we make our garden so beautiful and so uniquely us. The wild child garden is not just a space to grow food for your belly, but it's also where you will grow for your soul. I want you to experience this method of gardening because I know it works. And because I know that when you release your inner wild child, you will heal your soul. You can get more information about how you can grow with me at www.releaseyourinnerwildchild.com. Thank you so much for joining me here. I'm so excited to share more with you. So stay tuned and I will see you soon.